Friends, I'd like to kick off this morning by thinking about two words, uh, up and down. Two very common words, really, up and down, and yet they are two words that are very powerful in the way that we use them. Take the word down, for example. In the eyes of the world, the word down often carries with it a very negative feel downhearted, down in the mouth, down on your luck, down and out, down scale, downfall, downhill. See, the word down speaks of failure, sadness, disappointment. When your team loses, they go down. When you're sad, we say that you're feeling down. In the eyes of the world, down is a direction to be avoided. Not so up. Up is the word for winners and heroes. Uh, you upscale a growing business. Talented people are up and coming. You aim to move up the corporate ladder. When circumstances are good, we say that things are looking up. People strive to be in the upper class. When your team wins, we say they got up. See, up is the word of happiness, the word of the strong. Up is the direction of greatness. And from this word, world's perspective, you avoid down, you go for up. That's what the world says. And it's against that background noise of the world that I'm thinking this morning's Bible passage is maybe one of the most counter-cultural sections of the entire Bible. For put simply, this morning's passage tells us to avoid up, go for down. This morning's passage is telling us that if we want to please God in the way that we live, the direction we must go is down. For this world is into upward mobility. God is into downward mobility. And you have only to look at Jesus to see that. Now all of this comes up, of course, because over the past few weeks we've been working through the ideas of connect, grow, serve. Uh, Three key ideas that reflect the progress that we're striving for as Christians here at DPC. That before all else, we want to be connected to God. We want to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And once we are connected with God through Jesus, then we want to grow as followers of Jesus. We want to grow in personal godliness. We want to grow in our understanding of God's word. Connect, grow, and now serve. The idea that part and parcel of following Jesus is not just being concerned about ourselves, it's being concerned about others. Part and parcel of following Jesus is not just connecting and growing with God ourselves. It's being interested in connecting and growing others as well. Which brings us to Ephesians, uh, sorry, Philippians chapter 2. And look, in all honesty, we could have gone to a heap of passages this morning. God's word is saturated with teaching about serving one another. Few passages are as rich as this one. Here is a passage that not only explains the principle of serving, it's going to help us understand its purpose and its practice as well. Firstly, though, the principle. And verse 3 offers a very clear, straightforward, though let me suggest radical explanation. Verse 3. Do nothing 
out of, vain, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Here in a nutshell is what serving is all about. Verse 3, in humility, consider others better than yourself. If you've got an ESV, it would have read, count others as more significant than yourself. Now please notice that verse 3 does not say, do nothing out of selfish ambition because others are better than yourself. It says, consider them as better. In other words, this is a verse which is all about rewiring the way that we think. It's about training our minds to, to, to work a certain way, and the certain way it's wanting our minds to work is that you will be counting the others in this room as more significant than yourself. That you will actually be consciously trying to decide to treat the others in this room as better than yourself, irrespective of whether they are or not. It's not the issue. The issue is, will you consider them as better? Verse 4 fills it out a bit further. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Notice the deliberately vague word, others. It's deliberately vague so as to be deliberately all-encompassing. It's not look to the interests of a select few. It's not look to the interests of your friends. It's not look to the interests of the ones you happen to click with. Look to the interests of others. No small print, no exceptions. Consider others better than yourself. Stumbled across this really fascinating documentary on uh, the telly the other day that was all about the German Autobahn. You know the Autobahn? That's the German uh, motorway in which there is no legal speed limit. There's an advisory speed limit of 130 k's an hour. You can actually legally go as fast as you want. And this documentary was all about the engineering marvel that is the Autobahn and all the road rules that exist on the Autobahn, uh, such as the fact that if, uh, if you give another driver the finger, you'll get a $2,000 fine. But what I found really fascinating was the was the unwritten road rules of the Autobahn. That there are, in fact, very strict, unwritten sort of codes of conduct that the other, that the drivers uh, adhere to. An example of this being uh, the very strict social status on the Autobahn, the very strict pecking order of drivers depending on the car that they're in. The way it works is that on the Autobahn, Volkswagen drivers always give way to Audi drivers, who in turn give way to BMW drivers, who in turn give way to Mercedes drivers, and everyone gives way to Porsche drivers. Can't begin to imagine where a Commodore station wagon driver fits into this. (laughs) Now, we, we smile about that, and you and I, we don't drive on the Autobahn, I reckon we've still got a pecking order in our heads because the world is constantly urging us to notice each other's possessions, notice each other's education, notice each other's dress sense, how attractive someone is, how socially awkward someone else might be, what a person's sense of humour is like, 
and we notice each other's homes and we notice each other's jobs and we notice any letters after their name and we look at how they raise their children and we gather all this information and we get a pecking order. Well, hey, we're Christians. We don't want to be too obvious about it. But we got our favourites. We have those whom we tend to notice and those whom we don't. We have those whom we tend to gravitate towards here at church and those we don't. We have those who we're prepared to go to a lot of trouble for and those we don't. God hates the pecking orders. That is not how it works in the kingdom of God. What works in this kingdom is that you look to the interest of others, no small print, no order, no exception. We consider others better than ourselves. And just in case we still haven't twigged to how radical this way of thinking is, the point is now driven home in the text as it moves from an explanation into an example, maybe the great, definitely the greatest example, of someone who really did consider others better than himself, even though they clearly weren't. Verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Now in the light of what we've just been thinking about in the previous verses, notice afresh in verse 7, Jesus made himself nothing. The phrase made himself, there's a willful action there, isn't it? Jesus deliberately did this. It wasn't forced upon him. He made himself. And the word nothing, nothing, draws attention to the unimaginable distance that Jesus travelled down. He who was in very nature God descended to nothing. Can you begin to imagine how far down that descent was? This is God. And he gets pushed out of the womb of a teenage girl in an animal shelter. He's born into a family so poor that at temple sacrifice time they have to go for the poverty pack of offering a couple of doves because they can't afford a lamb. He grows up in the back blocks of an enemy-occupied country. He gets pushed and shoved in the marketplace. He's forever being misunderstood by his friends. He's forever being rejected even by his family. He's forever being called on to do favours for complete strangers. And it is all deliberate step by deliberate step. From the moment he leaves heaven, Jesus travels one direction. Down. Down the pecking order. Down the social status. Down the places of prestige. That word that carries with it so many connotations for us. Down. That's his deliberate lifestyle as he embraces a life of giving and serving, giving and serving, giving and serving, 
until there is nothing left to give. Verse 8, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. There really was no place lower for Jesus to go. He was spat on, he was flogged, he was lied about, he was jeered at, he was hung up on a cross, bleeding and grasping for his own breath. If ever there was someone who deserved to cry out, what about me, it isn't fair, I've done my bit, now I want my share. If ever there was someone who could call that out. And he didn't. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, for your sake, for my sake, the giver of life gave up his life. The one who possessed everything became nothing. And in this passage, God is saying to us this morning, you do the same. You have that sort of attitude. You, you do that. You also avoid the up and go for the down. You also consider others better than yourself, whether they are or not irrelevant. Serve others. No small print, no pecking order, no exceptions. Which leads us to the purpose of all of this, because, I mean, why would you want to go to this much trouble? What, what, what could possibly be worth it? Philippians offers us two purposes. Firstly, and, and briefly let me say, it offers the idea that serving each other will safeguard a church's unity. Uh, verses 1 and 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one, being one in spirit and purpose. It's significant that this whole section in Philippians, it kicks off with a discussion about our unity together as Christians, that since we all follow the same God through Jesus Christ, we here at Morning Church have a sense of affinity. We have a sense of uh, companionship and solidarity. We belong together. And it's into that context that Paul is here talking about serving one another because, you see, it's by serving one another that we will protect that unity that we will live out our solidarity in Christ. When you consider the others in this room as better than yourself, that will put that that will smother any divisiveness and fighting and and disruption. Serving one another will safeguard a church family's unity, which is what kicks off this section. And if that's all that this passage said, that would be enough. A church family is incredibly precious in God's eyes, and so it's incredibly important that we safeguard our unity. But tucked away in these verses is a second, I want to suggest, deeper, more significant reason for serving one another. It is the simple truth that serving other people is the lifestyle that God exalts. Verse 9. Therefore... God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can I draw your attention to the very important word there at the beginning of verse 9? 
I'd love you to physically look at it on the page. Therefore, think about that. That is a massive word. It has staggering implications. Therefore. In other words, why was it that Jesus was exalted? It was because he did not exalt himself. Why did God lift Jesus up to the highest place? It's because Jesus chose instead to descend to the lowest place. Now, I cannot stress this enough because we are tapping into the one of the most fundamental aspects of the way God operates. We're being alerted to one of the most surprisingly countercultural aspects of the kingdom of God. This morning, we are bumping up against one of the most important things about the kingdom of God that you've got to get your head around. God exalts those who serve. As far as God is concerned, the first are last and the last are first. As far as God is concerned, down is a good word and up is to be avoided at all costs. As far as God is concerned, serving others is not just one of possible ways that you can live as a Christian. Serving others is the only path you must take if you are at all interested in doing what pleases God. Because God's people don't ascend into greatness, God's people descend into greatness. Which thirdly points us to the practice of all of this. I mean, if the principle of serving is humbly looking out for each other's needs above our own and the purpose is because it pleases God, it's what he exalts, I'm hoping you can start to see that the actual practice of this can be pretty much summarised into one word. Friends, here's what it's all going to boil down to. Here is what serving one another looks like in everyday life. Inconvenience. Serving the others in this room will mean inconvenience. It will mean going out of your way. It will mean going to trouble. It will mean cutting into your me time for the sake of helping the others in this room connect and grow as Christians. And can I gently suggest that if there is no inconvenience in your life, if morning church is not inconveniencing you, it's probably because you're not serving anyone. All you're doing is selfishly fitting everyone else in around your timetable. All you're doing is spending time with the people you like spending time with. And that is so not what this passage is talking about. How much me time do you reckon Jesus had? Do you think he was inconvenienced for you? How about if Jesus only served you to the extent that you are serving others? Do you reckon that'll work okay? Philippians is talking about Jesus becoming nothing. And you and I having the same attitude. It's talking about going without stuff because you've used your money for someone else. It's talking about listening to people and hearing what they say rather than just thinking up about what you're going to say next in the conversation. It's talking about consciously making an effort to only ever say things over morning tea that are helpful for building others up in Christ. It's talking about not seeing your favourite telly program this week because it's the only night that you get to help people work through some difficulties. It's all about being inconvenienced. 
It's not about turning up here on the days that suit you and having a nice little conversation with the people that you already know. Perhaps going to a small group where your other friends are. It's about being inconvenienced. It's about having an attitude like Jesus Christ who made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant. Which is why at DPC we are are into connect, grow, serve. Are you connected with God? Are you a Christian? Hope you are, it's terrific. Are you growing? Delightful. Who are you serving? I'm not asking if you've got a bunch of friends here. Who are you serving? Who are you going out of your way for to deliberately help them connect and grow in Christ? Who are you spending time listening to so as to help them be the best follower of Jesus they can be? Who are you consciously building up in your speech? Who are you doing things for so as to help them follow Jesus? Is there anyone out there you're serving? As I say that, though, I know that some of you here are doing things that are exactly that. I know that for some of you, you arrive here at morning church early and you leave late. I know some of you are always on the lookout for visitors and new people. I know some of you feel really stretched as you work hard at your homework preparing for a growth group. I know that some of you struggle with young children just getting here. I know some of you spend your time and energy caring for other people's children so that they can hear the Bible talks. I know that some of you work away at Sunday school classes and scripture classes during the week. I know that some of you come in here during the week when there's no one here to notice you and you clean the building uh, so that untidiness won't be a, uh, a distraction for others. I know that some of you are feeling tired because you're already serving lots of people. I know that some of you give lots of money. I know some of you battle with loneliness and some of you battle with sadness and some of you battle with anxiety and yet you still look out for other people. I know that there might be some of you here who are just plain exhausted because you're already serving so many people. You're a great encouragement. And if that's you, I want to thank you for taking this church family seriously enough to count the others in it better so that they might connect and grow in Christ. Thank you. I want to ask you to keep at it. Because forget me. There will come a day when the firstborn of all creation will give you his thanks. There will come a day when the one before whom every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that he is Lord. There will come a day when he will look you in the eye and say, well done, good and faithful servant. He will exalt you if you haven't exalted yourself. Because that's how it works in the kingdom. I'll pray.
Father, before anything else, we want to thank you for our King Jesus. Thank you that he did not consider equality with you something to be grasped, but he made himself utterly nothing for us. Father, help us to have an attitude that is the same as our Lord Jesus. Please, Father, by your word and spirit, change the way we think so that in humility we consider others better than ourselves. Father, help us to look not only to our own interests but to the interests of others. Help us to put to death the pecking orders in our life and help us serve like your precious son has served us. Amen.